Welcome to Storytime with Michael Kingswood. I'm Michael Kingswood and I write science fiction and fantasy. I used to be in the Navy, spent 20 years doing submarine operations, among other cool things. Learned to fly planes, learned to scuba dive, had a bunch of kids, saw the world, and I started writing fiction. In this podcast, I'm going to be sharing my stories with you in the hope that you'll have fun, and also that you'll like my stuff and come back for more and maybe help brother out with buying a book or two. So uh, sit back, relax, I'm going to tell you a story. Hey, it's Michael Kingswood, back at you again with story time. It's been a pretty busy week around here, a lot of work done over the week, and I was out camping with my boys most of this weekend. So I'm going to keep this one brief. Cool thing happened on uh, Friday night, got all the files for... The audiobook of my novel Glimmer Veil, which is the first of a five book series called The Glimmer Veil Chronicles, which I haven't really discussed here on the podcast before. Um, I'll go a little bit into it here in a second. But about a year ago, actually, right when I started my civilian gig, as I was in the process of transitioning out of the Navy, I did a YouTube video where I kind of pimped that book and read the first chapter. And I haven't shared that with you here before on the podcast. So since I don't have a lot of time to record, I'm just going to share that with you now. Apologies for me reading. Yeah. <laughs> well, you've been dealing with me reading for the last, uh, you know, 32 episodes. So I guess you'll be fine with it now. Um, but, uh, in the coming weeks, I've already uploaded all the files for publication should be out on audible and all the other various places you can get audiobook files. And it is downloadable right now from my web store. Uh, anyway, uh, that should be available to everybody everywhere else in a couple weeks. Um, so I'm going to hold off on sharing the professional uh, recording until after everything's live so you can go buy it. Um, so for now, here's where we're going to pimp the book a little bit. And maybe by the next week... It'll start going live, and you can go get the whole thing so you know what you're listening to. Or, if you are impatient, you can come by ssnstorytelling.com right now, where the audiobook is available through my web store, which I remind you is where I make the most money. No pressure, though. Uh, for now, sit back and uh, enjoy as I do a little unprofessional book pimpage and explain the series a little bit longer. Hey friends, Michael Kingswood back at you again. It's been a good week. Started my new gig as the slimy defense contractor. Not really slimy, of course. That's just a a joke. Every guy I know who's uh, retired from the Navy or just gotten out and becoming a contractor, they're all like, yeah, man, you're joining us in the dark side. Yeah. It's, yeah for whatever reason, there's... Mostly undeserved, there's this uh, yeah, thought meme out there that defense contractors, military industrialist, military industrial society are evil and crooked. And, of course, that's not true. Um, particularly in my case, because you see, you guys don't know me that well yet, but uh, surely you could tell I'm a stand-up guy. I mean, for God's sake, drinking scotch, sort of. It's cheap, but it's still whiskey. Anyway, the um, 
So that's good. Started my new gig. In fact, I'm back from work just recently in my civilian uniform, such as it is. It's weird having to pick what to wear each morning, i got to tell you that. Um, so that's one other thing that happened this week. The other good thing that happened this week is uh, my new book came out. Uh, it's called uh, Falconer's Stairs. It's the fifth book in my Glimmer Veil Chronicles series. Uh, now, what the heck's Glimmer Veil Chronicles, you ask? <laughs> or maybe you're not, but I'm going to tell you anyway. Um, so it's a sword and sorcery, little sword of like a Western Frontier vibe to it. I initially wrote the first book several years ago as part of the uh, November National Novel Writing Month. I said, I'm going to do a 50,000 word novel in a month, and I did, and then I added a bit more to it after that. Uh, I went into it with the notion of, aha, it's going to be Seven Samurai in medieval fantasy. And so uh, that's what I did. There's two guys on the run. They're, uh, they have a checkered past because they deserved from the army for good reasons, but still, they're army deserters. And they uh, are trying to get home through the least uh, dangerous way they can. And so they go through this uh, pass, northern pass through the mountains that not a lot of people take anymore. and get to this valley in the middle of the mountains called Glimmer Vale, hence the name. Uh, anyway, so uh, they show up in the town there named Littleton. It's this, I didn't mean to have it be Littleton. It's actually L-Y-D-E-L-T-O-N. But it does sound kind of like Littleton, but it is a small town. They uh, primarily run on a fishing economy based on fishing. And uh, then there's some other farming hamlets throughout the Vale, too. Uh, but anyway, they uh, show up and the town is besieged by Shocker, since it's you know, Seven Samurai-inspired brigands. And, of course, the brigands have taken station in the passes, and they can't get out. The, the two heroes can't get out. And the mayor and the local constable offer them a job to help clear the brigands out, and thus begins our adventure. And, uh, yeah, so five books later, the series goes on. It's not all about clearing the brigands out of the, the, the valley, right? That's just the first book where we get established and find out what the heck these guys are, who the characters in town are, and uh, cl clearly, you know, they decide to stay in the town. A little minor spoiler there, and uh, at the end of the first book. Anyway, um, the first book, The Mirror Veil, has been pretty well received. Uh, if you look at it on Amazon or other places, it's uh, rated fairly highly. The later books also have been good, good ratings by readers. Of course, not as many. For whatever reason, I haven't been able to get as many people to review the <laughs> later books as the first one. Of course, I gave a lot of copies of the first book away for free, so some people just, uh, more people read it. Anyway, um, so the fifth book's out, and obviously you don't want to start the fifth book, so you want to, you know, go to the first book first because that would make more sense, right? Now, they're all independent stories. Everyone can be written, read on its own and understood on its own. There's no massive, overarching, you know, Robert Jordan, Wheel of Time-esque story arc. Now, nothing I'm against that. I love Robert Jordan. It's my one of my favorite book series ever. But, that's not what this is. Um, like I said, sword and sorcery, a little bit of western, a little bit of noir, because these guys become constables and they solve crimes. Um, they also go on quests and sword fights, and there's magic, and all kinds of cool, fun stuff like that. Um, so yeah, so that's, uh, my Glimmer Vera Chronicles series, and, uh, like I said, 
The new release is out a few days ago, so I suggest you go and uh, check it out. Um, and yeah, that's what we got here. I'm going to flash up the cover on the first book, and then I'm going to come back and read you a little excerpt. How's that sound? Just one sec. So the cover looks pretty nice, right? I got chapter one right here. If I'd been a better video guy, somebody who'd been this more than three times now, I would have had this ready to go to start with. And if I was less lazy than I am, I would delete all this and start over, ready to go. But I'm, yeah, yeah, screw it. Anyway, here we go. Chapter one of Glimmervale. Cold wind whipped past Julian, making his cloak furl out behind him. Biting back a curse, he clutched at the flapping cloth and pulled it in tight around his body, but not before the momentary exposure had done its damage. What small warmth he had been able to retain was gone, leaving him to shiver in his saddle. The male shirt he wore didn't help matters, but he had learned the hard way to not to go without it. It was supposed to be getting in the spring. Down below in the lowlands, many miles behind him, farmers were, filling, were tilling their fields in preparation for the first planting. Trees and bushes were beginning to show their first buds, and people could go about their business in less than three layers of clothing. But not here, among the peaks of the Saddleback Mountains. Here, winter still clung to the land like a young maiden to her first crush. Tell me again while we're taking this route, he muttered with annoyance. Julian's companion looked sidelong at him and rolled his eyes. Radric was a hand taller than Julian and thin as a stick, with shoulder-length black hair that was tied into a short ponytail at the nape of his neck. Like Julian, Radric wore a cowled brown cloak of thick wool over his mail and a calf-high leather riding boots. Beyond that, their fashion sense deviated. For while Radric usually picked shirts and pants of blue and gray, Julian preferred greens and browns. They went with his short brown hair and hazel eyes better. Or at least, that's what the ladies told him. When they first met, Julian thought he sure that he could break Radric in half with one hand. He had quickly learned the folly of that. Radric was quick and a lot stronger than he looked, and he could wield the saber that hung from his saddle horn with deadly efficiency. I don't feel like getting caught, do you? Radric said. Not many people come this way anymore since the southern passes became viable. Plus, it's faster. <laughs> Almost rather take my chances down south, Julian replied. It had been a hard week since they departed Callus. The army did not generally chase deserters, but all the same, if a chance patrol happened upon them, they were done. So they took pains to remain out of sight, which means they mostly had traveled at night. That had been bad enough, but once they made it into the foothills, the mountains, past even the most distant picket lines, the journey had gotten steadily worse. At first, Julian thought riding the day again would be easier, but as the train became more rugged, the progress slowed, and the day's ride became more exhausting. Then, the day before yesterday, they passed the last of the trees and emerged onto the bare flank of the mountains, leaving them completely exposed to the elements. Fierce gusting winds and lowering temperatures conspired to create a thoroughly miserable day and a restless night. They finally got a bit of relief yesterday afternoon, as they put the first few peaks behind them, and then again this morning when they entered Garrett's Gorge. But that was a respite only compared to the bitter cold of the mountain range's flanks, as the last wind gust just revealed. At least they had a nice view. Julian had to concede that. About ten feet to his left, the road abruptly fell away, 
a sheer cliff and another one a tenth of a mile away facing it formed the walls of the gorge. At the bottom, a couple hundred feet down, the Cascade River flowed, a long series of rapids that only subsided in the foothills far to the west, where it merged with the river Lanele on its way down to the Timor Sea. Between the gorge and the mighty peaks all around, there was always another awe-inspiring sight here, but right then, Julian would trade it all for a nice fire and a warm mug of mulled wine, and maybe a warmer maiden. Quit complaining, the other man said. We're almost at the falls. From there, it's just barely a half a day to Littleton. Julian only grunted in reply. They rode in silence for another hour. Slowly, almost imperceptibly, a low noise began to intrude on Julian's consciousness. At first, it was easy not to notice it, a low rumble that could just as easily be his imagination. But the rumble grew over time until eventually it became impossible to ignore. What's that? The falls? Radric nodded with a wry grin. Just around the corner. Brace yourself. Julian snorted. He had seen plenty of waterfalls before. One was just the same as they rounded the corner, and Julian abandoned that thought as his draw dropped in amazement. The falls were about a quarter of a mile ahead. Spilling over the side of a jagged mountain peak that rose high above all the others nearby, the falls had to have measured a thousand feet from the drop-off to the bottom of the gorge where the river began to flow. Mist billowed off the water as it fell and rose in a great cloud at the falls' base. The rocks on either side of the gorge and on the adjoining flank of the mountain gleamed, frozen mist reflecting the mid-morning sunlight that shined from the west. Julian instantly understood why they were called Silver Falls. If he didn't know better, he would have thought the ice was precious metal from the way it reflected the sunlight. Gods be good, he said, or at least he tried to say it. Even at that distance, the roar from the falls was tremendous. He could barely hear himself speak. We'll need to protect our ears as we get closer. Radric leaned over close to Julian's ear as he spoke, but even still it was hard to understand him. Julian nodded and flipped open one of his saddlebags. After a moment of digging, he found a small lump of wax. Breaking it in two, he held the two pieces in his fists for a moment to soften them up. Then he pressed them into his ears. The roar was immediately muffled, though it was still distinctly noticeable. The two men continued forward. The great mountain peak rose on their side of the gorge, blocking their path like a colossus. But the road shortly veered away from the gorge and the peak itself and started climbing the mountain's flank on the other side of the peak from the falls. Julian considered as they turned on the first what would probably be many switchbacks designed to lessen the road's angle of ascent that it was probably for the best. He didn't want to think about how difficult the road would be to follow if it was covered in ice from the mist. So the extra few miles to go around the peak were probably worthwhile. Just before noon, after more switchbacks than Julian wanted to count, they reached the road's highest point and paused for a moment. Looking down from their lofty perch, Julian was struck by the beauty of the valley before them. The road descended across the face of the mountain and it made its way back to the river just above the falls then followed the river to a large lake shaped like a kidney bean that dominated the center of the valley. Lake Glimmermale, Lake Glimmermere, if Julian remembered his maps correctly. Still, except for the wakes from a number of boats making way around the lake, the water reflected the mountains on the other side of the valley with near pristine clarity. Off to the north of the lake, the valley was wooded all the way up into the mountains. To the south, a few copses punctuated the rolling hills, but for the most part there was only grassland except for a narrow spur of mountains that pushed north almost to the shore of the lake. The two rivers flowed into the lake, one from the north and one from the east. 
A number of what Julian assumed were farming hamlets clustered in the grasslands surrounding the eastern river, almost directly opposite the two men on the other side of the valley. Albart's Pass led away to the northeast. But the thing that drew Julian's eye was the fair-sized town on the north shore of the lake, a sprawling collection of buildings large and surrounding a half-dozen piers that protruded into the lake like the fingers of some great grasping hand, the town of Littleton, might as well have been the most opulent metropolis in the world. Down there were warm inns, home-cooked meals, and wenches aplenty. He could hardly wait to get there. Glimmer Vale, Frederick said in a soft tone, had not been here in years. Looks like a nice enough place. Frederick nodded. nodded. The people are friendly and hospitable, and they have a local recipe for the fish from the lake that is to die for. Then what are we waiting for? Julian spurred his horse to motion and began the descent. Behind him, he heard Radric chuckle before doing the same. Going down was faster than coming up. Before long, they reached the base of the mountain. The road met the river a few hundred yards above the lip of the falls, near a small copse of evergreens. The, the river was narrow there, maybe a hundred feet across, but flowed swiftly toward the drop-off. Julian was struck by how much quieter it was here than down below. Oh, the falls roar was still plain to hear, but it was nowhere near as deafening as it had been on the other side. I guess the gorge makes it louder, he murmured to himself, earning a curious glance from Radric. Julian shrugged in response and gestured toward the falls. Radric nodded. nodded. A good thing, too. Can you imagine trying to live next to all that racket? <laughs> Julian shuddered. The road ran into the copse about 20 feet from the rocks overhanging the river. There was a pleasant change from the bare rock of the last couple of days, and Julian found himself grinning as he passed beneath the tree's canopy. The smell of pine was soothing, reminding him of pleasant days from his past. He lost himself in enjoyment for a moment, which made the harsh voice that barked out at them all the more unpleasant. That's far enough. Stop right there. Julian shook himself back to attention and groaned. Half a dozen men stepped out from behind the trees lining the road ahead. They were unshaven, wearing dirty cloaks and leggings that had seen better days. But they also had on what looked like high-quality leather breastplates that were lined with iron studs, leather gauntlets and bracers, and greaves on their shins. Five of them arranged themselves in a loose arc in the road ahead, while the sixth stood a few feet back and, knocking an arrow to his bowstring, drew back and sighted in on them. Brigands. Julian and Radric reined in their horses, and a burly man with a vicious-looking scar on his chin, who stood in the center of the five ring, ring of five, spoke. From his voice, he was the same man who spoke before. That made him the leader. Remind you of your life, boys, he said. Nice welcome. All right, so that's chapter one. Um, I really like Glimmervale. It's a... Uh, Shoot, almost five years since I wrote it, but uh, obviously I, I like it and like the characters because it continued the books, and uh, I think you will too. So go check it out. Um, it's on just about every ebook store anywhere you can find it, and there's in paperback too. I keep meaning to get an audio book done, but I haven't done it yet. Uh, mostly because it costs a lot of freaking money. I get a good audio narrator, they a good pro one. They generally want like two hundred bucks per finished hour. As a 55,000-word book, uh, that comes out to about uh, six and a half, seven hours of reading. Uh, so you do the math on that, right, uh, in 1,500 bucks. And uh, I don't know that I want to do it to myself because that takes, A, a lot of time. Um, 
I'm not sure how good I'd be at it. Of course, here I am reading to you, so maybe it doesn't matter. Anyway, um, of course, that's different because we're friends, right? Anyway, um, yeah, so that's that. I wanted to tell you about that since the new book just came out. And, uh, hey, you know, a little bit of a story. Uh, check it out. Hope you like it. Uh, for now, uh, have a great day or night, whatever time of day it is there. Have some scotch or a beer or whatever you like or, or don't. I'm going to continue my whiskey here and uh, I'll talk to you guys next time. Later. Thanks for listening to Storytime with Michael Kingswood. You can find me online at michaelkingswood.com. I'm also on Facebook and Twitter. My web store is ssnstorytelling.com where you can find all my books in your favorite formats. Purchasing through the web store nets me the most profit, but if you prefer, I'm also on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Kobo, and all the other usual e-tailers. If you want to learn about new releases, sign up for my mail list through the contact form at my website. I guarantee not to spam you, only send an email when I have some news to share. Finally, if you really like what I'm doing and want to support on a more regular basis, you can come to my Patreon and become a patron. Just a couple bucks a month will help out a lot. Storytime with Michael Kingswood is copyright of Michael Kingswood. Intro and outro music, copyright Gene Paul Zogby, licensed through stockmusic.net. All rights reserved. <laughs>